Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the NFL Scotland podcast. A washout shutout and there's an emergency to declare if you're a bear. My name is Paul Mitchell. As two teams keep their unbeaten run, one streak has come to an end. As after 71 consecutive podcast appearances, Cameron has fallen foul of the lurgy and cannot be part of this one. So how do we replace Cameron? Well, we do so by inviting not one but two of our NFL Scotland podcast regulars. We'll welcome Ian Stephen and Charles Patterson to look back at the Week 7 highlights. We'll then look ahead to Week 8 and give an update on our Pick 6 selection. As ever, we'll end up with some news, including exclusive details about some live events coming up next month. Stay tuned. Charles and Ian, thank you for joining us. Your teams had contrasting weeks. I've got to start with you, Charles. I believe your quarterback had a decent week. Well, indeed, Paul, I am a very happy man. Uh, Last week when I was on, I was saying I wasn't thinking Aaron Rodgers was in Great fettle, even though the, the you know the, the the Packers had started the season pretty well, but nothing like a perfect quarterback rating game. Five touchdowns and a rushing touchdown to make you feel a lot better. It was vintage Rogers in the sunshine at Lambeau, and um, it's interesting how everyone's suddenly talking about Green Bay for the Super Bowl now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think a player coach has ever won the Super Bowl, so it's quite interesting. <laughs> Uh, he did look happy. He looked happy though, and I think that's interesting because he hasn't always looked happy uh, to this point of the season. He was he looked happy and relaxed, but I think also he listen. It's one of those whereby I said at the start of the season that this offense is going to take time to click, and they needed to to find the right ingredients in in the in in, in a particular game for it to click. To come up against an Oakland defense, which is it's it's not really stout. It's it's it tries hard, but it doesn't really sack the quarterback. There was you only went down once, and the the secondary was shredded, wasn't it? Six touchdowns, uh, forty-two points. What more can you say? And he's doing it without Devontae Adams as well on Sunday. And if Adams comes back this week, which many are suggesting. Uh, pity to the poor receivers who've stepped up who will perhaps not be able to get, to get on the field. When you look at Alan Lazard, who's who's come in and, and uh, pick, picked up picked off balls from him, and, you know, Geronimo Allison, Jimmy Graham, uh, Valdez Scantling, all these guys have contributed. He seems to have this ability to give anyone on that roster who is eligible as a receiver an opportunity. And he is, in my view, still, and I'm biased, but he is the best player in the league when he's on his game. He can produce throws that probably nobody else can, perhaps for the exception of a fit Patrick Mahomes, who is the closest I've seen to Rodgers in the last 10 years since he's come in the league. Um, I'm, they- I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to cut in right here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's clear to everybody that the best player in the NFL is Jamie Gillen. <laughs> well, we're biased, so we could certainly make a case for him, couldn't we? But I think, um, yeah, well, when Rogers is on his game and he's got the supporting cast, it's very difficult to stop. But he has looked like he has been learning the trade this year. And of course, this is the only the second offense that he's had to learn in his time in the NFL. He played under one coach for so many years. I think it was always going to take a bit of time to gel, and it all clicked in pretty spectacular style on Sunday. 
It actually reminds me when we, I think we spoke last year, there was there was a story that came out of Green Bay talking about how hard he was being on his receivers in practice, you know, whether you're a rookie, whether you're a veteran, he's hard on them. But when you look at the top receivers going out, and they've had a bit of turnover in that department, if you're prepared to work hard for Aaron Rodgers, he's going to throw you the ball. And I think, Charles, that's what we've seen in the last few weeks. Indeed. I mentioned Devontae Adams. When he came into Green Bay, he had a propensity for drops and he, he took quite a bit of abuse from Rogers. Mild abuse, I think it has to be said. And at that time, they had Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb who, who were lighting up the league. And Adams was seen as this great hope. And in his second year, he, he dropped a lot of balls, but he worked hard. And he's now a legitimate number one receiver, one of the best in the league. But if you can't be inspired by playing alongside someone like that, then you're, you're in the wrong profession. And if he is able to lift a team that is ordinary up to outstanding levels, and this year he's got the supporting cast of a good defence. I said at the start of the year when we were reviewing the, the conferences and we were reviewing the teams in particular, I said if Green Bay are going to do anything, it's going to come down to the defence, and the defence has stepped up this year. Having said that, they did concede 24 points, and I thought Oakland played really well and kept it close. But... It, it was a vintage vintage performance. And um, I, I, you read some of the press in America over the last uh, 24, 40 hours. They're now talking about him as a potential MVP candidate. I don't know. He's going to have to continue that. And they've got a very tough schedule, but it's looking good at the moment. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think Derek Carr, as you mentioned, actually quite a good game as well. Let, let's switch to, to Ian. And the Dallas-Philly game was supposed to be, you know, the statement game of the conference so far. But, I mean, it was over inside, what, six minutes? Yeah, you, you can't make uh, two critical uh, mistakes within the first six minutes, fumbling twice. It was just unforgivable. Dallas scored 14 points off those two turnovers, and it, it was game over um, from there. Um, even when the Eagles were trying to come back, there was a pass late on in the game from uh, Carson Wentz to Nelson Aguilar, and it looked like he just didn't even lay out for the pass. There's lots of rumours going around in the locker room that there's disquiet. There's a, a receiver who's a, allegedly been feeding snippets to the media about how unhappy he is. Um, and I think it was, it was either Zach Ertz or Lane Johnson said the, the players need to step up. We need to do things like get on somebody's case if they're late for a meeting or for practice. But if you go to somewhere like New England, is anybody ever late for meeting or practice? So it's, it's kind of very worrying undertones that are uh, coming out of the Eagles. My personal opinion is I think that the Eagles have decided not to extend Malcolm Jenkins as of yet. And I think Jenkins is so influential in the locker room. I don't think that he's doing anything negative, but I think the fact that he's probably unhappy in a contract situation I think that's maybe fed in a lot to um, some of the players especially on defence Should we be looking at Nick Foles in a different light because he was obviously you know he's regarded as a really top bloke as well as a, a top player the fact that he's not there he kind of held them together after the Super Bowl winning season which is always hard to do because there is always that drop off but is the loss of Nick Foles coming home to roost at all? It's possible. Um, he certainly had a lot of influence um, in the in the offense um, last season when Wentz went down. Uh, but that was towards the end 
the season when Wentz was out with a, a broken vertebrae. Um, I think he certainly brings a calming effect. But then you look at the fact that they've brought in McNown as a veteran backup quarterback, and I don't think anybody could ever question his leadership ability. It's, it's, it's always difficult to ascertain. If you're winning, you can have some terrible people in the locker room, but everything goes along uh, swimmingly because everybody's happy. As soon as there's one or two games that don't go your way and there's some disquiet, then that's when these stories start to tumble out. Talking of leadership, Ian, is this all on Doug Peterson? for going out and being so bold as to say we're going to go and win in Dallas and when we do, we'll be in first place in the NFC East. That is, for a coach, I think, a crass mistake to make. Well, it depends on the question that's asked because you can quite easily wipe out the question and just take the soundbite. I don't think if Doug was asked a question, are you going to Dallas to win, he was going to say, well, the best we can hope for is a draw. <laughs> um, I think he was probably asked a question. He answered the question honestly, as you'd expect. But he's aggressive. He's, he showed that in the, the Super Bowl. He showed that with the amount of times he goes in fourth down using analytics. He's aggressive, offensively-minded coach. So I would expect him to come out and say that. The players would expect him to come out and say that. And the players will actually tell you None of that stuff matters. We don't pay any attention to it once the game's on. You're too busy thinking about what alignment is the, the your opposite number coming out and what, what audible have we checked to. They don't even pay attention. The only person that pays attention to it is Richard Sherman because somebody did ha- shake his <laughs> hand, but then he decided he didn't shake his hand. So the old the old adage of the opposition pinning these quotes on the on the the dressing room wall when they see these things. You speak to to, to footballers and rugby players and and various types in sport. And they do, I think some of the time they do pay attention to it, especially when it's one of your closest rivals as well. I mean, that was a, we were talking about this last week. That was a high pressure game um, going in, going into those, into that game. Both of them are three and three. And I just, I couldn't, you would never have seen someone like Belichick saying that. I guess this is the thing. What would Bill do? (laughs) (laughs) He would just go, he would just go, and then that would be it. But, it's quite interesting because the the week before that, when the, the Eagles played the Packers, I felt that the Eagles dominated the Packers. And I didn't think the Packers were that good at all. And then you look and see the Packers' record at six, six and one, and you're thinking, how? They, they weren't they weren't good. Um, part of that, I think, was because uh, Devontae Adams went down. He's such a, a key player um, to them. The, the edge rush for the Packers is excellent with the, the Smith brothers. They're fantastic. But only one offensive lineman, I would say, is in form for the Packers and uh, Brian Balaga. I don't think the rest are playing very well at all. I don't think the running game's very good. You take out Devontae Adams and the receivers aren't very good as well. It's quite interesting how... They're sitting at seven and one, and you can look at uh, six and one. Sorry, and you can look at the Bills as well, and you can think, How are the Bills at six and one? But they are, and it's it's small moments in games because the Eagles should actually be um sitting at uh, what's the record just now? Three and three, they're, four and three, they're and four. three and four, they're three and yeah. four, yeah. So we should actually be sitting at uh five and two because we had uh, two touchdown catches dropped in the last quarter drives and it's those tiny little moments that define your season look at the 49ers going to the Redskins, it was a horrible game it'd be easy for the 49ers to lose that, Adrian Peterson the running back for the Redskins, but no they prevailed they sucked it up and they, they, they did well and when you get 
the America's game at the end of the season with the, the kind of music dun 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 mm-hmm. and the, the commentator it was typhoon conditions in Washington and it was that would be one of the key games that San Francisco could possibly look back at and say that that's what helped define our season I, yeah. when you look at the NFC um, just, just to touch on the NFC you mentioned that there's a couple of teams in there the Eagles are only a game out of first place in their division and a game out of a home playoff game. So I don't think it's time to, to panic yet, but it's, it's time it's to so panic. Com- it's still so competitive. It's Listen, so competitive. if you have if you have to go to Seattle or New Orleans in the playoffs, you're not getting out of there with a win. No. So that's why I think teams who think they are championship contenders should panic and try and get that first or second seed because it's so hard to go to those cities with two outstanding quarterbacks um, and try and beat them. And to be honest, if it's Green Bay in the cold as well, you can you can put Green Bay into that category as well. I wouldn't want to go to Green Bay and play in the cold if I was uh, a dome team like the Saints. No. Yeah, we'll pick up on a couple of those points in a minute. I mean, you mentioned Bill Belichick. I don't know if you know, guys, but in New England, the Bible actually is 67 books rather than 66 because the gospel, according to Bill, is certainly part of them. Just having a look, let's talk about that that Washington-San Francisco game because I think you're right, Ian, that was a trip game. Given the fact they're coming you know, coast to coast, which they don't particularly travel particularly well, a couple of amazing things. It was the shortest game in 10 years. It was two hours, 36 minutes, which was the same as the Patriots-Jags, which was 10 years ago. But that had 42 points in it. This certainly did not. And interesting that Kyle Shanahan was asked what was the best thing about when he coached in Washington. He said, my dad was here. And that was the only thing he said. Um, Fair to say he's not a fan. And I loved the fact that he gave the game ball to his dad, the former coach of the Redskins. But Classiest dive of the week has to go to Nick Bosa. Magnificent. Leading, it was wonderful, wasn't it? Jurgen Klinsmann-esque. It was. Just, I mean, that's how to embrace the the wet there. But that, that was horrible. I, I just, you know what? I mean, I, I think of weird things. I felt sorry for any Washington or San Francisco fan from the UK who'd saved up and thought, that's the game I'm going to go to. And you go to that game and it's absolutely chucking it down. And all you see is run, run, run. So I felt a little bit sorry for them. Let's touch on a couple of other things that I think were quite big plays. And then we can talk about the results around them. We've got to go to Marcus Peters and his pick six on his debut for Baltimore. I mean, he was much derided, run out of town. What a better way to answer somebody than a pick six? Well, I said last week um, when we were discussing one of that game, I said, is Marcus Peters going to improve the Ravens significantly? Difficult to say, really, because he's regressed in Los Angeles with the Rams. Well, I might as well take my foot out of my mouth right now because actually he's 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 an incre- immediate upgrade on what they had. And I don't think really anyone expected people to go, the Ravens to go in and beat Seattle. And they created real problems for Russell Wilson. And that was the first time he's been flustered all season. But he, Peters, was a top five cornerback three or four years ago at Kansas City. And he, maybe just a change of scene, a, you know, a fresh start. It's, it's what they you look at New England. They bring in players who've faltered all over the place, and um, they're revitalised. Maybe that's what he needed. Uh, oh, we, we don't 
we're all we're all fans of uh, conventional football for for a an, an analogy. Um, your team, Paul, uh, Hart Midlovian, John Robertson, the greatest striker possibly in your club's history. Uh, he got transferred to Newcastle United. Imagine he got transferred to Newcastle United and played at left back, and everyone would go, "Oh, that Robertson's not very good. He's not the same at Hearts." That that was the same with Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters was a very very aggressive cornerback. He would he played a lot like um, Asante Samuel. He'd watch the quarterback's eyes and he would gamble. But under Wade Phillips' defense in Los Angeles, it, it's not the same, and that's why it looked like he'd regressed because he he can get beaten because he's so aggressive but he's got the most interceptions in the NFL in the last five years by a mile because he's so good with that part of his game. I like the pickup by Baltimore, and I thought that was a real big statement win for Baltimore in Seattle. Talking of you know potential statement wins, I have to say the Colts impressed the living daylights out of me, and we have to apologise to all the Colts fans listening because none of us picked the Colts at home <laughs> over the Texans. We all bought the Kool-Aid that came with the Texans. But how about, who had heard of Zach Pascal? 106 yards, six catches, two touchdowns. I mean, that's tremendous football. I just thought Brissett as well looked as calm as calm could be in that game. There has to be a lot of credit given to Frank Wright. And for what he's done there um, with with Indianapolis, because of what happened in preseason with with Luck retiring, that could have absolutely destroyed the entire franchise um, to lose your front you know, to lose your your outstanding player, but to have united that locker room and to have just kept things on a level playing field. And they were fortunate they had Brissett, of course, in the building. But it, it, this is his opportunity, and he's taking it and. I think it's proved. I think the Texans. I think we probably all three of us would agree the Texans have got more talent, but the Colts are playing perhaps as a more consistent team. And Ian, what about Darius Leonard? I thought he was outstanding at linebacker. I mean, he hit anything that moved, and quite a few things that didn't as well. He's he's just so talented, and he put he tweeted um, earlier this week about uh, a a draft. Um, projection for him was somebody saying that he wasn't very good and the Colts had reached by taking him in the second round and yeah, I thought it was quite funny with him uh, retweeting that back out again he's such a such a good player but four touchdown passes from Jacoby Brissett. Coach can you remember who he was mentored by uh, coming out of high school? No nope. awesome. <laughs> Bill, Bill Parcells he yeah, is, uh, that, that, that man knows a thing or two about quarterbacks, that's for sure. Can I come on to quarterbacks? Because I want to touch on, we've already touched on the, the fact that the Green Bay Packers had a great win. The Bears got their quarterback back and it didn't make any difference. I thought the Saints did a terrific job in Soldier Field, despite the 102-yard brilliant touchdown, Cordell Patterson. That's just amazing stuff. If you look at the score, the score doesn't tell the story. I think it tells you the same as the Saints when they went to win in Seattle with some late points in garbage time. But if you look at that NFC North, Rodgers was amazing. And I thought Cousins and Stafford, as the Vikings and Lions went toe-to-toe, that was a really good, entertaining game. That's the kind of NFL game you'd want to go to. Which then leads to the question is, do the Bears have the weakest quarterback in the NFC North? By quite some distance. I think, I think, and the, it doesn't matter whether you replace Trubisky with Chase Daniel. You're still in that position. I've been pretty scathing of Kirk Cousins, um, and well, and Trubisky as well. But 
Cousins has played very well last few weeks. I don't think there's any question of that. He's he's been up against a couple of shredded um, secondaries. That's to be fair, but he has played very well. He's got the weapons though. He's got Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. He should be finding these guys. They've got a very very potent offense if he is allowed to um, to, to, to use it to his maximum capabilities. Um, there was a stat I saw which he which said that he is he has a quarterback rating of 157 in play action over the last three weeks. They've obviously worked out that that is going to be the best way for him to function at his optimum. And if that's the case, then you know they're going to go. They're going to go far as long as they keep to that pattern. But the Bears are in a mess offensively. They're in a mess, and it's all Matt Nagy and his play calling. I think as much as anything else. I don't think Trubisky's been helped by that. No, I don't think so. Just I, I've also got to give a shout to another quarterback because I think it's fair because uh, we gave him a hard time last week, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston didn't throw an interception at the weekend, and I think that's worth pointing out. <laughs> Um, Ian, I th- can we talk about just a couple of things before I come to the Melvin Gordon play? And you know, as dumb as it was, there was two other things that caught my eye. I mean, it's spoken about as a as a tough guy league. Now, I gotta love Devonta Freeman for standing up to Aaron Donald. Now, he may have been swept off his feet slightly, but don't you just like to see the little guy just having a go, um, knowing that his teammates will hopefully help him out? I thought that was quite a good moment in in the season. No, I personally would like to see the bigger person uh, keeping natural order. We don't <laughs> want small people uh, starting getting above their station. Um, it, it was it was quite um, inspiring uh, to see um, because it would galvanise the rest of the the team. Uh, the, the defensive line, to be honest, should have been all around Donald pulling him off, and they weren't there, which probably speaks volumes to what Atlanta's. Um, issues are other than Matt Ryan going out with that ankle injury that doesn't look very good for them but um, it was um, <laughs> it was quite uh, funny seeing his wee feet kind of flicking in the air before <laughs> put him back down it was good the, the other guy I think we've got to give a special mention to is Ryan Fitzpatrick how many quarterbacks you know in trying to come back would actually stick their shoulder in as he did to go in for that touchdown He he was hitting you know, that wasn't just I'm trying to knock the guy so I can get in the end zone. He really dug in the shoulder to make sure he was going. And you know what? I mean, Miami might be the dumpster fire. He He's a guy who looks like he still enjoys playing football and just wants to do the best he can. He's playing for a job in Cincinnati at the moment because he's going to get picked up by somebody else the way it's going because he's playing better than a lot of quarterbacks in the league, um, even though Miami are are terrible and Cincinnati might be looking for a quarterback soon so I'll be another team off his list <laughs> yeah yeah that, that certainly could be now Ian the, the, the Melvin Gordon thing I mean I've, I've seen so much on Twitter you know the Chargers out charging themselves um, how can you fail basically to manage a game clock as they did now, you could argue Melvin Gordon goes in and scores. Nobody's talking about it. But at that level, ball security is absolutely everything. It is. I mean, especially for a running back, because you're, you're, you get the ball so often and it's bread and butter that you've got to hold on to it. But it, it's it's possibly some rust because he, he's only, this was this his second week back? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think second or third, perhaps his third week back. I mean, he's got some terrible stats. I mean, I I don't think that's been great, but you would have thought that was the time. Now, a few people thought they should have used Eckler, but I mean, I'm a great fan of you a yard away. Just, you know, just run the ball in. But that's the kind of thing. I mean, Rivers played well, 24 to 38, 329 yards. (sighs) Again, do we give any credit, though, to Ryan Tannehill for the way he handled that game? I, th- I thought he played well. From what I saw of him, he looked like he was playing well. He was he was um, hanging into some really really tough throws. There was a lot of pressure up the middle, and he wasn't shirking them. He was taking the hits and delivering the ball. So credit to him for doing that. So before we do anything else, catching your eye from week seven before I go to our weekly award tweets. Oh well, I think um, we've we've touched on. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, and uh, that was a great game. I have to say, I, I want to shout out to the Cardinals. I think to go to to go to New York and get get their third win in a row, I think that's pretty impressive. Um, and Kyler Murray um, and Chase Edmonds. Who had heard of Chase Edmonds before the start of the season? The three rushing touchdowns in for David Johnson. The Cardinals are proving to be a pretty feisty team, and that NFC West is a very strong division. Um, so to go and to go and win on the East Coast, which is difficult for, for a lot of West Coast teams, I thought that was very impressive. Ian, uh, anything else? Yeah, I was I was impressed yet again by Lamar Jackson. Um, I thought he was excellent. Um, I love seeing uh, running quarterbacks like him. The Ravens do look very, very good. They look very good. They're going to be a serious test in the playoffs, I think. Can I just give you a couple of quotes? Because, I mean, you'll be the same as me. You'll follow various people um, on Twitter and things like that. So a couple of uh, things that caught my eye from from Twitter this week was Ryan Ramchick of the New Orleans Saints, when he went home emptying his pockets, went this, keys, wallet, gum, phone, Khalil Mack, which I thought was quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what, what was Charles saying about bulletin boards and he's convinced that players read that sort of stuff? Uh, uh, <laughs> that might, want come back, that might come back to bite at some point, I think. It, it may well do. This is the other one that caught my eye, which I did love, which was a warning to fans of any team when you're in Georgia. Please do not get caught speeding in Atlanta. The fine is horrible. I just got caught speeding and they gave me two Falcons tickets, which I thought was pretty good. (laughs) Listen, on on that note, Paul, I saw this week that people are selling Bengals tickets in London for 30 quid on StubHub. They're losing money just trying to get rid of their tickets. Interesting, and that's exactly where I was about to go because I've got a story that's coming out of... Uh, Cincinnati, which reads this, a diehard Bengals fan is making a statement, camping out until the team is victorious. The business owner will live in a tent above his restaurant until they win. And then there's the killer line, which comes possibly until late December, which I think is a brilliant piece of writing. <laughs> Let me go through the weekly award tweets before um, you, you can give your thoughts as well. So we go for Belter, Bowfin and Bobag, the NFL Scotland Awards, if you've not been with us before. If you're just joining us on the podcast for the first time, always check out Twitter because you can uh, nominate for these awards. So Lee Martin uh, came down from his wandering star and said, surely only one choice for Belter. That's Aaron Rodgers. Ross Downey was in touch. Belter. 
Aaron Rodgers, both in the LA Chargers on their last gap attempt to win and not using Eckler, and Bobag, Melvin Gordon, see above, which I like. Chris Breen got in touch. Belter is Aaron Rodgers, both in the Philadelphia Eagles, and Bobag, as much as I like the guy being a Clemson fan, it has to be Christian Wilkins. Stuart Taylor has the same Bobag. Christian Wilkins ejected for a punch after only two plays in the Dolphins-Bills game. I'm not sure what can get you annoyed after just two plays. Anyway, Belter, Marvin Jones Jr., both in the Falcons, says Matthew Inkster, Bobag, Anthony Lynn running Gordon again to be as Chargers as possible. Couple of others, Long Callahan, Belter, Aaron Rodgers, both in the Eagles, failing to follow up on Doug Peterson's guarantee, which we talked about. Bobag, Devontae Freeman, mixing it up with Aaron Donald is never a good idea, especially when your team has lost a running back early and you're meant to carry the load. Angus Knox agrees with that. The Bobag, Devontae Freeman, you have to be a Bobag to try and fight Aaron Donald. Bowfin, Melvin Gordon failed on two attempts to get in from one yard. Belter, Aaron Rodgers for the list that we talked about. Um, Belter individuals, Rodgers, Brissett, standout wins for the Vikings, Ravens and the Saints, says Polly Bowfin. Andy Dalton, it's hard not to feel Andy Dalton deserved a mention there. And Bob Ag, I'm with Polly on this one, Christian Wilkins. And guys, just before you come and give us who you think the belter Kirk Cousins since being publicly called out by his wide receivers he's been on fire both in the Eagles Doug Peterson talks a good game <laughs> wish he'd coached one and Bob Ag Christian Wilkins as it got so bad in Miami that players are that desperate to get off the field uh, Ian I'll start with you I'm presuming Adam Rogers is the belter uh, first of all, I would like the names and Twitter handles of all the people who have besmirched the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they're being uh, FedExed at the moment. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was great, but I think I would possibly go with Kirk Cousins, I think, for my, my belter of the week, um, just for how well he's played with all the criticism that he's had. I think you would expect it from Rodgers, but I think um, Cousins was impressive. Okay, and in terms of being, being boofing... Um, who would I go for for that? Um, I'm presuming you're not picking your Eagles or your coach. I would. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to. I'm, sorry, I'm going to have to pick uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, I think anybody who says they're seeing ghosts out in the field, um, a you should be in concussion protocol, but b I mean that's just terrible for a NFL quarterback. Yeah, if you build it, they will come with Bull Durham in baseball. He shouldn't be getting brought into that kind of thing. And our Antonio Brown Bobag Award? I think that definitely goes to Christian Wilkins. I, I was watching that live, and what are you doing? He's wearing a helmet. Don't punch him in the face. <laughs> Charles, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay, obviously getting your, your yeah, award. Yeah, well, top. it would be wrong not to. I have to, a special shout out for Aaron Jones, who I slaughtered uh, when we spoke a week ago, because I don't think he's quite top echelon, but I thought his catch off that first touchdown was quite superb. I think you have to give a, a nod to Jacoby Brissett as well. I thought he was terrific. Um, but yeah, it's got to be the main, the main man for me, Mr. 158.3. <laughs> and uh, in terms of the, the bow thing, you, you, you've gone with the Eagles. What about Bob Ag? Um, well, I think, yeah, you've got, you, you look at um, Melvin Gordon for holding out for so long and then not producing the goods and proving that he's not worth the contract he thinks he is. Um, also, Denver, honestly. I mean, not only have they failed to 
to do anything this season. Um, but they've also injured the most exciting player in the league, which I think is dreadful. Um, and this yeah, but Jamie Gillen's, Jamie Gillen's injured? No. <laughs> and j- just so nobody's worried, Joe Flacco's not injured. Joe, Joe, well, yeah, unfortunately, Denver fans would be delighted if he came in with a pulled hamstring this week, I'm sure. But D- Denver are rotten, rank rotten. And um, I think John Elway is... Um, he should be really up for one of these um, ball bag awards for thinking that Joe Flacco is going to save his franchise. But for injuring Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to go for the entire Denver Broncos defensive line. Yeah, you would think they, they would try and protect him just a little bit more uh, than, the, than they have of late. So, gents, thanks for that. Let's have a look at our pick six review. Once again, apologies to any and all Colts fans listening. We all backed the Texans. We were wrong. We'll happily admit it. But it's easier to be wrong when you're top. And Jamie and I are top on 23. Cam somehow is on 22. Uh, I'm, I'm presuming he's good ladies doing his picks for him this year. Uh, Gordon's on 21. Ian's on 19. And Charles, you're on 18. But you did get a point or two this week, Charles. Well, that's because I copied you last week. Um and I think, did you get one this week? One I, out of six? <laughs> I had a dreadful week, utterly dreadful well, week. Well, I got, I got one more than you. So well, there we go. So I'm back in the game. <laughs> I, I'll be, I'll be copying you. That's for sure. So sure. that's a good idea. <laughs> I, I actually keep forgetting who it is that I pick, and then when I'm watching the games, I keep cheering for the wrong team when they score. <laughs> yeah, that that's easy done. It's like, oh no, I don't, I don't want them to do. I don't want them to do that, guys. Let's let's have a little move on to some of the games from week eight. And Redskins at the Vikings is is Thursday night football. It'll come as no surprise the Vikings are fifteen and a half point favourites uh, for that one, as as things are. So I think that I think that one we can we can ignore. Bengals and Rams. Now, Ian, you touched upon this. I mean, it used to be so difficult to get a ticket to go to Wembley. I mean, effectively people are trying to flog these things at the moment and I feel for the Bengals I just think they're always one of these teams you know the the icky shuffle you know and they, they've had players that you love the old Sam White's coached Bengals but they just can't seem to get out of their own way at the moment no they, they had that they had that that kind of run of three four years when they were always getting into the playoffs and it's just all, all tumbled um down the hill for them. Their offensive line's terrible. That, that's effectively the, the reason for their slump because their defensive line's still quite good. They're still reasonable in defence and you would hope that they can put up enough of a fight so that, that the Rams game's a good one. You hate to see the game being promoted in the UK and it's an absolute landslide. It doesn't look good at all. Um, but you can't see anything other than the Rams. Unless, unless there's a incredibly adverse weather um, you can't really see past the Rams giving them a bit of a thrashing Yeah, that's unfortunate I, this is one of the slates of games, Charles that perhaps slightly a little bit more uninspiring, I mean, the Giants going to the Lions the Lions I think have underperformed in the last week or so you know, because they've not finished games off so I think mm. they should be able to take care of the Giants, the Chargers Bears, I mean that's two teams really needing a game here yeah, yeah, both of those games actually, because the Giants are only if they get a couple of wins, they're only a couple of you know they're not, they're not that far behind Dallas. So the Giants Lions game, I think the season is running for both of those on that game. And I would say for the Chargers Bears, although you worry whether the Chargers have already have already chucked it away, Chicago are at five hundred. They could still get get back up, you know, into contention in the NFC. But their quarterback play is so poor. If they don't find an offense. 
you can't rely on a great defense carrying you the whole way. You have to be able to produce something. And the the the, the major problem is that they're not running the ball. And I think that Matt Nagy has admitted that. Philip Rivers, if, you know, if he gets time, if he gets protected, you can see them winning that San Diego. But again, both teams have got to they've got to produce a performance and win the game if they want to keep their season alive. You think? Yeah. No, Charles, I'll come to you for this specifically because I want I want to talk about something. Atlanta Falcons. It's the Seahawks at the Falcons. Now next week is the Falcons bye week. But is this the bye bye week for Dan Quinn? Well, when you look at the vibes coming out of Atlanta, and I know we're going to touch on the fact that they just traded away Sanu a little later, um, that team appears to be imploding all over the place. But Arthur Blank has been asked on repeated occasions over the last three or four weeks, is Dan Quinn's job safe? And he said, yep, business as usual, business as usual. What? What Atlanta have done with this statement of trading away one of their best receivers is they've essentially said that the season's over. Now, if the season is over, and but don't forget, Dan Quinn took them to a Super Bowl. Yes, they are sent. They're 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 looking at this, thinking, right, this is time for a rebuild. Now, it, it, at what point do you say, right, this is getting too embarrassing? People were tipping Atlanta to get to the playoffs, maybe even get to the championship game of the Super Bowl this year with the with the offensive weapons that they've got and. And Matt Ryan, you know, leading the whole thing with Julio Jones, but it's the defense which is which has caused them all the problems. And Russell Wilson's going to have a field day because that defense has just not shown up. And the point I wanted to make specifically to you, Charles, because you know, obviously, what working in football as does Ian. The the interesting thing is when a manager has an assistant that can do his job. Mm. I always think that's a problem. Now he brought in Dirk Cutter. Uh, who, who's been a head coach in this league for four seasons with Tampa Bay. You can fire Dan Quinn, you can promote Dirk Cotter, you can change the culture, and then you can go and look for somebody else. Do you think it's always wise to bring in somebody who is just literally, you know, half a season even, not even from being a head coach? I don't think I'd like that underneath me. No, I, I, I think we talk about football references. I, if you remember, not that long ago, um, Mark McGee brought in Stephen Robinson at Motherwell as his assistant. That didn't end well for Mark McGee. And look at Stephen Robinson. He's gone off and he's done good things with Motherwell ever since. Um, so it happens across all sports. I think you've got to have the authority as the head coach that you are the main man. And as soon as there's somebody there bubbling under who can offer an alternative, and if you've got your team playing poorly, then you're on a hiding to nothing. The fact that Arthur Blank has been backing his man, he has to do that. The only owner in the league, I think, who would basically call it out if if, 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 the, if the situation was similar would probably be Jerry Jones, because Jerry Jones is on the radio every week, spouting left, right, and <laughs> So, But then, of course, Jason Garrett's got a very safe job, as we all know. So... Um, I think oh, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because I think this week Jones was asked him about whether he was extending Jarrett and I think he said he would have to think about it. He well, wasn't he wasn't committed uh, into saying that uh, Jarrett would definitely be the head coach. He's been See, there long enough, Jason Garrett, and he's got the tools now to... There's no excuses. This is the thing. At some point down the line, if you're building a, a team over the space of three, four, five seasons, there comes a point where you don't have an excuse anymore. And for the Falcons this year, 
there was all, all the tools were in place for them to make a really strong run. People were suggesting that this was going to be you know, the NFC side is going to be the toughest division in football. The Buccaneers haven't really shown up. The Panthers look great, and the Saints have continued on despite Drew Brees being injured. The Falcons have not come to the party. I think everyone is surprised at that, and it was quite fitting if it is this week that Dan Quinn. Uh, his um, his reign is over against a team that obviously he he went to the Super Bowl with with Seattle. You know, can uh, I just quote you some of the some of the things that's coming out from people? So the Washington Post is quoted in the, their headline saying the Falcons owner may not think it's time to fire Dan Quinn, but everybody else does. Uh, SB Nation is saying Dan Quinn has given the Atlanta Falcons every reason to fire him. Uh, the same website has got a feature saying potential Falcons head coach candidates for 2020, just in case. Uh, blogging dirty, it's time to blame the Atlanta Falcons coaching staff and Dan Quinn's time is coming to an end. I mean, there's nothing really particularly positive coming there. And I think that's the problem. Let's jump back to some of the games. Is it, it, it's not the most inspiring card. I mean, the Bucks, Titans, you get them. Uh, Cardinals at the Saints, that would be a major surprise for me. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's been doing the job. The Saints, I, I think that Saints D's been there. Game, I, I like the Cardinals-Saints game. I think that's great to see Kyler Murray in the, in the dome. Be interesting. Uh, We're on a bit of a run at the moment as well, uh, Arizona. So, I yeah, I, I, I've, I've I've tucked that away as a win for the Saints. It could be a trip <laughs> game, but I, I've tucked that away. Now, a couple of games that, that, that do catch my eye, but I'm going to just throw a couple of others away just now. The Browns-Patriots was exciting. It was picked for, um, you know, you know, late game football, but I don't think we're quite as excited about that. Monday night football, Dolphins at the Steelers. Good oh. luck with Booger McFarland. <laughs> anybody <laughs> to watch that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, so trying to be positive, and I'm going to be, the Eagles-Bills is an interesting game because the Eagles, Ian, do have the tools, no matter what we might think of them, they do have the tools to go and win. Um, potentially, yes, but the the issue with the Bills is they're so good on defence that that's why they've got this good record. They're not great on offence, but in defence they're so good. That defensive line is so good with Hughes and Alexander and Murphy. And their secondary is awesome. White, Poyer and Hyde. Uh, Edmonds as well at linebacker. And I'm glad the game's in uh, October and not December. I don't think I would I don't think I would like to go into Buffalo in December with that defence and you need a win. Um, the Eagles have to the Eagles have to rebound. They've, they've not played anywhere near as well as they should have. And it's a shame because there's a couple of players. Um, Brandon Graham has been fantastic again this season. Um, but there's other guys that have just not shown up. Yeah, it's probably got the closest to the point spread. Charles, I mean, the Panthers 49ers is tasty because I think the Panthers are actually a decent team this year. And, you know, they are playing some good football. We've seen that from them. You know, they've had the bye week. They've won in London. Now they're coming to the 49ers. So, I mean, their, their air miles have been pretty impressive. But the 49ers, you know, anytime you're defending that unbeaten streak, the pressure just starts to ramp up a little. Well, the, the, the biggest question for me this week is can the 49ers score on Carolina um, I mean last week I think we take last week's game out because it was a freaky game in the strange conditions but is and it'll be interesting to speak to Cameron when he recovers his voice but is Garoppolo able to put points on Carolina because the Carolina defence is very very strong 
Um, and then you've got McCaffrey. How do how does San Francisco stop McCaffrey? They've got the best defensive line probably in football at the moment, um, San Francisco. They've been hugely impressive. But have they had a soft schedule so far? This is, I think, though, this is their first real acid test. I could see Carolina going into that game and winning it, but it's going to be that's going to that's a really tasty game. I, I, I'm like you. I think the Panthers are an excellent team, and I think that they're there if they don't win the NFC South, because I know you think that it'll be uh, New Orleans. I think that it'll be very very close. I can see the Carolina getting the playoffs. And Ian, I mean, the Raiders-Texans is an interesting game. The Texans have to bounce back. The Raiders show they can play on the road. But this this is a, a great example where NBC have called it absolutely right for their Sunday night football. The Packers at the Chiefs. The Packers on a real high. The Chiefs struggling a little bit. I think that's fair to say with a Mahomes that might be hobbled slightly. This is the kind of football that you want to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's the... the that's a kind of marquee matchup. They've got it absolutely perfect, especially because of Rogers' fantastic game last week, and that Mahomes is the kind of um, poster boy of the NFL. Is that the Madden curse striking again? Yep. <laughs> yep. Mahomes uh, going down like that. So, yep. At least we're going to have one prime time game that we're going to want to watch this week. Well, it's the it's the number three offense in the league. Against um, one of the, you know, the, the, this this pass this pass rushing tandem that, that that Green Bay have got, and how does Matt Moore deal with the Smith brothers? That's the big one for me today on on Sunday night. If the Smiths get to him, Andy Reid's going to have to be very very clever and, and concoct something to try and keep the the Packers defense off balance. I'm pre- I'm pretty sure that the Chiefs have maybe got the best right tackle. Uh, in the league at the moment in Jeff Schwartz so that that might be stifled on one side of the line but it'll be interesting to see what the Packers then do do they start to bring more pressure with the Blitz to counteract that if Mahomes can't move as much as he did well well, Mahomes is out he's going to be out I don't think there's any question he will not play so if it's Matt Moore then do they run the ball more because Green Bay have been a little bit vulnerable against the run Um, and I mean when you look at Rodgers on the other side if he gets Devontae Adams back he's got another weapon and can can Kansas City stop Green Bay scoring remember Kansas City couldn't stop Deshaun Watson how are they going to stop Aaron Rodgers if he continues to play the way he did against Oakland yeah, it's going to be very interesting there. Guys, I'm going to run you through the pick six. So very quickly, I want you to make your pick between them. Just before I do that, um, I'm looking for a new job, a new opportunity, and I think I will t- make myself available to ESPN as their Monday night football scheduler for next season because, quite frankly, I couldn't do a worse job than the person who's picked them this year. They are utterly awful Dolphins at Steelers coming up. Even if the Steelers have been playing well, I have no idea why they think that that's a good matchup. Guys, basically, I'm going to run you through the games. We've talked about quite a few of them, so it's just going to be a quick shout-out. So our pick six for this week, uh, can go first, Charles can follow Eagles at Bills <laughs> sometime this week Ian <laughs> um, I'll go with the Eagles and Charles Bills uh, Chargers at Bears, Ian how do you think that's going to go? Bears Charles Charger. Chargers Ah, good, we're getting lots of uh, different ones, uh, the Buccaneers at the Titans 
That's it's not overly tasty, but we'll see where it goes with it. Of course, you know the Bucks have done well. They they won on the road in LA in a great performance. Ian, who are you tipping in this one? I think I'll go Titans. Titans as well. Okay, the Jets, who were pointless against New England on Monday Night Football, off to the Jaguars. Looks a little bit lopsided, I think. I'm going to go Jets for this one. Well, I thought it looked lopsided, but what do I know, Charles? I'm going Jaguars. I think that's a, that's a shoo-in. Uh, we chatted about the Panthers 49ers. Do the Panthers have it to win on the road, Ian? Nope. Niners. And Charles? I'm going with the Panthers. And we just talked about the game. The Packers at the probably Mahomesless Chiefs. Who, who are you picking, Charles? We, you're not going to surprise me, are you? Uh, no, um, stick a massive big swedge of cheese on that one. And Ian? Yeah, I think I'll be the Packers in that one as well. Thanks, guys. We're looking forward to that. Now, we don't have too much long left on the podcast. So we've got a couple of things we still want to follow. Let's talk about, we touched a little bit on the trade of Mohamed Sanu going from Atlanta to New England. Uh, one wag from Louisiana has already tweeted, I think Mo Sanu will need more time to get used to the New England culture. For example, having fans inside the stadium at the end of a game might be a novelty. Was, uh, that, was, that, was that Jamie Vardy's wife? Was that the wag? <laughs> It, it must have been, although, I mean, I'll fall out with her at some point. Does the trade surprise you in any way? Not at all, really, because that's the kind of thing that New England do, isn't it? That's just the way that they go. Um, they, they're they the best team in the league, and yet they're still looking to get better. And they have been looking for a receiver, um, and obviously the Antonio Brown experiment failed miserably. So I, it doesn't surprise me. I think Mohamed Sanu is probably uh, thinks he's one to watch, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, you can't blame him. He, th- he, thinks, yeah, he's going think he thinks he's getting a nice big shiny ring. Yep. <laughs> but yep. but Paul, Paul, yes. even more interesting than the Mohamed Sanu trade, Emmanuel Sanders has been traded to the 49ers. <laughs> breaking news. Yes, indeed, that is breaking news. I've just seen that. And uh, for... For third and fourth round picks in 2020, and 49ers are taking a fifth round pick in return. So I think that's a terrific trade. For, I mean, me, me and Emmanuel, or Manny as I call him, because we met in Glasgow a couple of years ago, uh, go way back. I'm surprised he didn't text me to say that that was happening, but hey, he's obviously lost my number somewhere along the way. I think that's a tremendous pickup for the 49ers. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic player. He's as reliable as he comes at a uh, wide receiver and it's a fire sale at um, Denver. Will Vaughn Miller go before the trade deadline? That's a question. See, if I'm the coach, I don't think you can afford to take hits on both sides of the ball. You know, you're trying to build something. You don't want to lose two of your best players. And I think that's the danger at this time of year. You simply do not want to leave yourself, you know, gutted for next year because while draft picks are all well and good, you know, rookies can take time to make an impact. And I don't think you want to lose somebody like Vaughn Miller. It'll be interesting to see who else um, is on the trade block or who disappears uh, to a, a winning team before the deadline. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about Vic Beasley leaving Atlanta. And given that they've got rid of Sanu, um, you wonder whether they'll, they'll, they'll let him go as well because the defence has been shocking. But he's, a, on his day, he's a top quality pass rusher. And there are... Teams in the mix, such as Baltimore, who could perhaps do with a pass rusher. So he's one player that's been mentioned. It'll be very interesting to see how 
how the teams who are on, you know, skirting on the edges of the playoffs, who might want to make a, a run at it, maybe they, they try and pillage uh, someone like Kenyon Drake from the from Miami Dolphins or something like that. That'll be quite interesting over the next few days. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It used to be, you know, you had your roster at the start of the year. You then had your practice squad if guys got cut. But now we're seeing a lot more of these trades before the end of October. And it's almost getting like baseball just for the trade deadline. You know, if you think you've got a shot, you know, you will you will gamble. And coaches, because the lifespan of them is so short, sometimes you just got to go and say, right, you know, we are going to, you know, throw away draft picks because this guy could put us... Over the top, right? Just I think, before, sorry, sorry. sorry I, think what, you, I think what's accelerated that is the fact that when you get a compensatory pick in the draft now, you can now trade that. So I think that's possibly what's accelerated the amount of player trades coming up to the deadline. Yeah, I mean that that's a fair point, and it it does add just that little bit of extra interest this time of year. Although you know, if you're a season ticket holder and you are losing people, then you know I I do find that a little bit on the hard side to take now Ian you've been a busy boy of late lining up some live events tell us a little bit more yes yes we have got four live events lined up um, in November for you and we are going to be in Glasgow on the 8th of November Edinburgh on the 9th of November and I have to say when I booked a venue in Edinburgh I spoke to the nicest booking person I've ever spoken to in my life they were delightful Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and for the first time ever we're going to be going to Aberdeen on Sunday the 10th and then we're going to be going down to London on the 12th of November and our host on the 12th of November is going to be none other than Mike Carlson. He's going to be hosting the event for us down there and we've got a slightly special guest coming all the way over from the States. I have tweeted out a picture of his foot uh, unsurprisingly (laughs) Unsurprisingly, nobody guessed who it was. Charles, you don't know who it is, do you? No, this is a surprise to me. I'm waiting with bated breath here. All righty. He played in a Super Bowl. He played 13 years in the NFL. Um, His teams were the Eagles, the Saints, and the Panthers. Any clue yet who it might be? Does he use his foot on a regular basis? To be fair, not to be fair, he uses kick. both. Yes, <laughs> not the kick. I think his playing weight was about three hundred and forty pounds. My goodness, that's about as much as uh, me after I've eaten some of the golf taverns nachos. Trousers. <laughs> It is it is the defensive tackle who regularly featured on the mic'd up uh, clips on NFL Network. It is Hollis Thomas. Hollis Thomas is going to be coming over and he will be at every single one of those live events. And we're going to do things slightly differently from when the NFL brings players over and has their live events, Hollis is going to be fully interactive. So when you turn up at the event, you'll be able to shake hands with Hollis. Um, You'll be able to 
blow a raspberry at him if you want, but I wouldn't advise it. He's still a big man and most of it is muscle. Um, you can have a selfie with Hollis if you want. That's absolutely fine. There's no problems with that at all. You can't do that with the NFL event because they're such big name players that you would never get people out of the theatre if they're all trying to get uh, selfies with Kurt Warder and Michael Irvin. And we're also going to be running VIP packages as well where you'll either get the chance to have dinner with Hollis um, and he'll be signing autographs at the dinner or you'll have the chance to watch a game with Hollis hopefully on the Sunday when the NFL games are on. Ian, it sounds like a fantastic event and he is some character. He had a he had a great career. He's very eloquent. He, he, he is a storyteller as well. I can't get him off the phone. I literally can't get him off the phone when, <laughs> when he's talking to me. Uh, he was at the Cowboys game and he was telling me stories about how there's a typhoon and they all get locked in the hotel basement um, and nobody could get out. Um, he has an absolute character. Um, he's a great guy as well. You see all these stories about Antonio Brown and it's such negative stories in the NFL. He's an absolute adorable big teddy bear. He's fantastic. Ian, we know you'll be getting tickering details out. We'll obviously retweet them on the NFL Scotland Twitter site and we'll be going across social media. If you're a follower of the podcast, make sure you look out for these and please retweet. This is a fantastic chance to meet a guy who's played in the Super Bowl, who's played in so many great places, so many great stories, and we'll hope that you'll be able to come along to these events. Well, that concludes everything for episode 72. Keep your feedback coming and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook. That's www.facebook.com Scotland NFL. Please keep sharing the podcast with all your NFL friends. Give us a review on iTunes if you can. would be great. And keep interacting on Twitter and Facebook. Keep an eye out for more details about the live events with Hollis Thomas. They will be fantastic. If there's a demand for things like this, we'll keep making them happen. My thanks to Ian Stephen, to Charles Patterson for joining us, and he's been in the background recording it all, to Cameron Hobbs as well, who breaks his 71 consecutive podcast streak. Remember to make your selections in our McBookies Pick'em competition. Enjoy the football coming up in week eight. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the highlights, but until then, bye for now. Bye for now.